it's Christine, your host for the Rose Woman podcast, where every week we bring you some ideas or concepts or people who can expand our minds, our hearts, our spirits, bring a little bit more freedom, spaciousness, love, liberation into our daily living. So in that little clip in the beginning, my teacher, Mark Whitwell, wrote a little song for me, and in it he sings, Invisible, Indivisible, and that echo is the topic of the show today. I wanted to do a solo episode on frequency, vibration, the proto-field, the field that sits between us, intuition, and how we're working on each other all the time. How do we feel vibration? How do we feel frequency? How do we feel and see energy? And how do we make this invisible field visible in our own lives? Uh, And what that can do in terms of being conscious of how we emit and transmit frequencies and what we want to surround ourselves with and what we want to put out there. Well, as I said before, this was supposed to be a solo episode, but like all things, when your mind is tuned to a certain concept, you know, they say when you are looking for red cars, you only see red cars. If you're pregnant, you only see pregnant women. When your mind is tuned to a certain something, things pop up in the field for your noticing. And I was attending a gathering in the Balmerin Keys, and I met this amazing woman, Stephanie Schwartz. And sort of during the social time, she pulled me aside, and we started talking about photography and her work. And she showed me some images where she had been photographing prisms, and and she was sort of seeing vibration. And you could tell from that conversation how much her ability to view and perceive vibration, sound as a visual field was divergent from others. And I really loved the conversation. So we got together um, several times and I learned more about her and her way of her way of perceiving and how she's making her work. So at the end of the solo portion of the show, there is an interview with Steph where she talks about how you can train your mind's eye to perceive the field and other things. And then at the very end, I do a recap of the takeaways and the suggested psychedelic artists that work today who are showing the field. Okay, so let's get to it. The proto-field. In the vastness of the universe and in the heart of my very personal consciousness, I experience an immersive and interpenetrating field a space between and within all of material reality. I experience it as vibrating and alive, transmitting and receiving all the time in my body as an instrument and through all of the things I can see with my senses. In this proto-field, boundaries seem to blur, and the fabric of material reality itself is a little translucent. One could call it a quantum field, one could call it Shiva, one could call it shimmering reality. I think of this space personally as the proto-field. But how do I take this felt sense of the quantum reality and make it understandable and visible to our human day-to-day reality at scale, to how we relate to one another, to how we structure our systems, to how we relate to Earth? And why does it matter anyway that we feel the field? So today I'm doing a solo episode, as I periodically do, offering some looks at enchantment, vibration, raising our vibration, energy, intuition, field awareness, and more. The unseen forces all around us, and perhaps even the unseen mechanisms inside of our body, like we're going to talk mechanoreceptors. We're going to look a little bit at how 
interconnectedness and the perception of isolation or interconnectedness shapes our perspectives and our day-to-day decisions and informs the quality of our relationships. Also, welcome to My Weird Mind. I feel like it's kind of a coming out party episode, okay? Because I've been in this multi-year meditation and observance of how the invisible field is made visible or perceivable, how it is felt, how does it work in our lives. And sometimes I felt alone in that observation, alone in that seeking. I remember sitting for a long time in a small skiff in the middle of the Boundary Pass, off of Waldron Island at the U.S.-Canadian border, and watching water currents and dynamics and being just fascinated watching it, what were the forces and the movements that were underneath the surface of the water? What was happening from temperature and pressure and all of these things to create these beautiful, intricate geometries? And then I saw those same exact patterns mirrored in steam in the sunlight or in smoke in the moonlight, that arrow currents and aerodynamics were the same as water currents. They were just less dense and having a deep understanding of the air as water, like a perception that I was swimming in the air and that on the daily, we just don't perceive it in the same way as the much denser water. I remember standing at the sill of a cave a long time ago where it was 100 degrees on the outside and that beautiful, cool subterranean temperature on the inside. And at that condensed doorway at the sill of the cave was this fierce wind and understanding wind as a mechanism of equilibrium or homeostasis, of energy moving and trying to equalize itself. There have been so many other examples, because once you start looking for vibration and hidden energy, you can't unlook. So, for example, one fine day last January, one of my sons and I were cross-country skiing in Glacier National Park, and in a very unusual midwinter weather situation for that terrain, there was no ice on the lake. And we sat in the vast peace of this mountain-ringed lake and skipped stones. But this time, instead of looking at the ripples from the skip, I looked at the center of the skip. And as the rings spread out, the center started hovering and shimmying and taking on a dynamic toroidal energy pattern, like one of those ring or donut shapes that turns on itself. And that energy pattern, it turns out, is everywhere. I was looking intensely just the other morning at a glint of sunlight off a dewdrop under the banister at my daughter's home, and it was there too, in the little spark that came off that dewdrop, a toroidal energy field that was radiating up and down and moving around in this three-dimensional ring, so alive. And it turns out that this field, this magnetotoroidal field does appear in many, many places, observable places in particle accelerators and in magnetic confinement devices and in fluid dynamics. But I had never noticed it. I'm my age and it took me this long of looking and this close of looking to see what is directly perceivable once we pause. Another place I began to look more deeply was at light. Prisms, rainbows, fractured light. We've all seen the glint of sunlight through a prism. The vivid, tiny rainbows projected into our awareness. We know that white light contains all the colors. And for me, these moments, these rainbow moments, are pinpricks in the veil of our everyday perception. Reminders that beyond the intangible lies the intangible, an intricate grid of connectivity that binds us all. You know, maybe not a grid, but a more of an infinitely branching and interwoven net at all scales. Think of 
how riverine systems look from the air or cellular structures or branching patterns in your veins. I have seen this web. I have seen it in meditation. I have seen it in dream states and in journey states. I saw this branching web as a child. I saw it during an NDE. And lately I have been feeling it more and more through other senses, through kinetics or vibration, for example. And I will say that this question of how we are related and connected has been a deep question since I was little, and it was the primary inquiry in my 2016 book, Indivisible, and of course the subject of many of the philosophy courses and my studies in the last two decades. I'm not alone in the experience of this interconnected realm or the attempt to describe it. Thinkers like Carl Jung, who imagined a collective subconscious as a place where ancient archetypes dance, Irvin Laszlo, the person who envisioned the Akashic field, which is a cosmic tapestry that binds matter, mind, and spirit and contains all the memories and experiences across time and space. Fritjof Capra saw it in the dance of physics. Lynn McTaggart in the luminous energy fields. Anita Morjani in her intimate dance with the cosmos during her own near-death experience. Vandana Shiva with her roots deep in the earth always reminds us of our fragile bond with nature and echoes the eternal truth that we are not separate. We are in every conceivable way interconnected. In terms of seeing the grid, think about the psychonauts too. Think of Alex Gray with his masterpieces portraying a divine dance of energy, or Terence McKenna who saw in the depths of psychedelics a hyperdimensional layer of reality. Many, many psychonauts have reported a deep feeling in knowing about our interconnectedness And they also report seeing the geometry in the field, in the throes of altered states, whether spurred by nature, art, or profound introspection, patterns emerge, fractals, lattices, tunnels, kaleidoscopic dances. What are they? Are they merely firings of our neural networks, or do they hint at a cosmic truth? Okay, but I don't want to imply that making the invisible visible is unique to the 60s or psychedelic art because you know a lot of you know that I've been studying Asian philosophy and yoga and tantra and all that stuff for a long time and in that tradition yantra is a way of representing vibration uh, sound in a geometric pattern there there are these highly symmetrical abstract representations of the thought form of the deity a visual representation of the deity's mantra and they're very gorgeous. I think if you want to look up yantra and then look on Google Images for different kinds of yantra, you will see that they are quite potent, balanced visuals. And they are considered to be aids for meditation and worship and spiritual practices in Hinduism. Uh, but there's one that's particularly powerful. It's called the Sri Yantra or the Sri Chakra. And that one is considered to be the embodiment of Shakti the symbol of divine, creative, or feminine energy. And that consists of nine interlocking triangles, which form a central point, and then those are surrounded by two circles and lotus petals around the edges. And those triangles represent various aspects of creation, and the central point in them symbolizes the ultimate reality or the source. So, you know, trying to bring our focus point always back to the source. It's considered a visual representation of the highest form of divine energy and is used to enhance focus and, like I said, meditation. So it can help you connect with your higher consciousness, achieve balance, and attain inner harmony. So the yantras 
are a beautiful way to see this geometric pattern from ancient times represented. It's like when people were less clouded in their direct perception, where they were not so overwhelmed by content coming at them, and they were feeling into what their direct experience was, many more people were able to see and experience sound as visual and visual as sound, and to see how the mantra and the yantra and the teaching and the thought form were all connected. So Google yantra and you'll see what some of these look like. So as I journey, and maybe you do also through the proto field, what becomes increasingly clear is that the borders between the self and the universe, between the tangible and the ethereal, are not as rigid as I once believed and as perhaps the dominant culture still believes. Fields, both visible and intangible, shape our world in ways we often overlook. And by harnessing the tools to see these fields and cultivating an awareness of this interconnectedness, I believe we can navigate our lives with greater insight and intentionality. And just like the proverbial spider's web, each strand is vital. And when we understand how to work within those fields, how to direct our vibration and energy, we can have richer, more connected, and lives with less suffering. And isn't that sort of what everyone wants? Rosebud's motto is more joy, less suffering, you know? So I want to tell you a little bit about an experience with someone. So I remember maybe seven years ago, um, going to an event and being introduced to the concept of the Fred. The, 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 the frequency resonance energy dynamics. And like when the room started to lag, it was said that the Fred was lagging. Like when people sort of got fatigued or overexcited, like it was the Fred, the, the field that was the sort of energy body of the group that the facilitator spoke to. And I thought about how, whether it's a DJ or it's a space holder, that they really are conducting the Fred. They're, they're noticing how the energy in the room is rising or falling and responding to that in real time. So I wanted to look a little bit at this field between us and field awareness. So much like I was just talking about how I'm using, or in fact, even photographing, by the way, videotaping, videotaping, I'm like ancient, but like fog and smoke, um, what, when we visualize fog and smoke, we can see air currents or toroidal spins in that or in water. There are a lot of ways that people make the energy body visible, the otherwise invisible visible. So before I get into navigating the Fred, I want to just give you some examples of art forms or ways that people are making the invisible visible. One is um, cymatics. There's some really cool videos online about cymatics, which people take a plate of, of steel or metal or something like that, and then they put sand on the plate. And then they play a note uh, or a sound and aim it at that plate, and you see these geometrical patterns emerging in the sand, giving shape to the very essence of sound waves. Schlieren photography. Uh, if you've ever seen heat waves rising from the pavement on a hot day, uh, that's capturable by Schlieren photography. It captures subtle te temperature differences. Curlian photography captures the aura or energy around living things. 
it adds electric visuals to life. If you've ever seen an image that shows a bubble of colors around a person's body, like it has an outline of the body and then it shows various colors and strengths and depths of field all around them. Like imagine that you have sort of an egg-shaped bubble around you and that there's various energy parts, you know, people's are shallower or deeper. A giant protective field could even, you know, have your energy emanating out and putting a boundary around you from others, you know, up to a couple of feet away. The first time I was introduced to this concept, I was maybe it was maybe 30 years ago, I was at a quartz crystal mine in Arkansas with my kids doing like a goofy field trip mining for crystals. And there was a woman there and I, I spoke to her and she said, I said, what do you do with these? And she goes, well, I work with energy. And I said, what do you mean energy? And she rubbed her hands together briefly. And then she put her hands on either side of my forearm. And as she brought them in from a couple of feet away, then a foot away, then six inches away, she was far, far away from touching me. And my arm was already tingling. And I was like, wow, you know, that that she touched my energy body. My energy body took it in. Hers was emanating and mine was receiving. And I was like, oh my goodness, we are not contained at the envelope of our skin. We're pushing out much, much farther than that. So Curlian photography captures that. A ferrofluid art is another way liquid transforms in the presence of magnets and light painting showcases the journey of light. There are a lot of people who are attempting in other ways than photography to show the invisible field to our dominant senses. So let's talk now about the sensation of vibration. I mean, this is not new in a lot of ways. Albert Einstein said, everything in life is vibration. And, you you know, we're made up of molecules vibrating at different speeds, whether you're a, a rock or a thought or an emotion. But I want you to just think about vibration for a moment like give it a moment of your awareness imagine it's a quiet summer night you're sitting on your porch enjoying the evening breeze and suddenly you hear it that high-pitched buzzing sound of a mosquito or if you're ever at a festival or something and you've stood next to a massive speaker and you felt the bass reverberate through your entire body that's vibration Or think about construction workers using high-speed drills wearing protective gear because prolonged exposure to such intense vibrations can be harmful. Sound is a manifestation of vibration, but understanding vibration goes a long way beyond those annoying buzzes and body, booty, shaken stuff. The sensation of vibration is everywhere in our everyday lives, from the gentle hum of the cell phone to industrial machinery oscillations. And once you tune in and become sensitive, it's like, whoa, we're taking in so much at the energetic level, particularly if you live in a city. So we sense vibrations through our body's touch detectives or mechanoreceptors. These are specialized nerve endings in our skin, muscles, and other internal organs, which respond to mechanical pressure or distortions, which don't have to come through actual contact. There are a variety of receptors that do different jobs. So I'm going to just do the little list poem kind of approach to this and give you some examples. Uh, Piscinian corpuscles detect rapid vibrations up to 700 cycles per second. That's a gaming controller, a flute or violin, higher pitched notes. Those might hit that 700 hertz frequency for this particular mechanoreceptor to catch it. Meisner's corpuscles, on the other hand, are the go-to guys for light touch and vibrations around 50 hertz. 
that gentle buzz from your phone, the idling car engine, those are the gentler 50 hertz vibrations. That's Those are perceived by Meisner's corpuscles. Merkel cells are texture experts. If you feel the delicate pattern of a fabric, these cells are the ones that help you differentiate smooth and coarse. Ruffini endings are about proprioception or knowing where your body is in space. If you think about stretching in the, mo- in the morning, feeling the pull on your skin, knowing whether or not you're balanced, knowing whether or not you're sitting upright, those are Ruffini endings. So these receptors are distributed differently across the body. So you can feel perhaps the tiniest splinter in your finger, but might not notice some irritation on the shirt scratching your back. But once these receptors detect vibration, they send signals to our brain. It's like they're saying, hey brain, something's happening down here. A 10 hertz vibration is like feeling a gentle rocking, like you're on a boat, the waves are slowly swaying you back and forth. A one hertz vibration is one second. Mm. 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 That's like tapping your foot to a slow, slow beat. Then you get down into a 0.1 hertz vibration. That's like the gentle rise and fall of the sea when you're on the beach admiring the horizon. And below all of that, the proto field. So I want to move now from these gross perceptual sensibilities into the ones that are more subtle and talk about perceiving energy and vibration. So if you've, if you've ever walked into a room and felt a distinct change in atmosphere, even before you laid eyes on anyone or heard a word, have you ever wondered what's going on there? In part, you're probably perceiving a lot of subconscious information, which I'll get into in a minute, uh, but it's transmitted in the form of energy and vibration. So if you're listening to this in a place where it's safe for you to close your eyes, then do it. There's There's a moment here where we can pause and feel the energy flowing within us and how it's moving out from the body, how our bodies are emitting thermal and bioelectrical energy all the time. Picture an infrared camera looking at you and and imagine the warmth of you being sent out, the heat from your body being measured by the infrared camera. Your hearts and brains emit electrical signals. We know that. They're often measured for medical purposes, like in an EEG. And that's another testament, our evidence of the constant flow of energy within us. And you can see it in other creatures. Like imagine being in the darkest abyss of the deep ocean and seeing how creatures glow and cast their own organically generated light. That's not magic. It's bioluminescence, a natural display of energy in some organisms. Some creatures literally glow. We are electric beings. And there's even a postulated sixth sense in humans of magnetoreception, which is just sort of getting dialed in. So that's measurable stuff. But beyond that, there's the felt experience. So let's go back to our room. You walk into a room after an argument has taken place. And even if you didn't witness it, something feels off. There's a palpable tension in the air. And it could be the environment dim lighting, chilly temperature. Maybe you heard a friend's voice crack during an earlier conversation and you're bringing that in. Maybe you are carrying the result of your own past experiences or the emotions into the room and you're misperceiving. But in general, this is your innate capability at work, your innate capability to sense and feel and attune to others. Now, in my experience, 
if I'm in an environment where my sensibilities are being continually overwhelmed with news and loud noises, harsh words, or my senses and experiences are dulled by intense sugars or strong flavors, that my more subtle perceptual capacities might be masked or they don't have a time to develop. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're not there. So quantum theorists even suggest we're entangled with others on an energetic level across time space and that we feel ripples from their emotional states on a scale of energies so minute and so intrinsic that we don't notice it, much like the air versus water current conversation. So we know that brain states vary in frequency. You can, I don't need to drop into this, but you can go Google theta, alpha, gamma, brainwave states. And a newer body of research suggests that emotions themselves have frequencies. Uh, that vibrational energy experts claim that certain emotions and thought patterns can create higher frequency vibrations, and you know which ones those are, like love, joy, peace, acceptance, forgiveness, while others vibrate at a lower rate, like anger and fear in particular, despair. So, you know, those kind of practitioners specify how to raise your frequency by loving and forgiving and being grateful and being generous and minding your thoughts and what you consume. Because what has been shown by other researchers like Stuart Hameroff, who if you've listened to earlier podcasts on consciousness, uh, his research shows how it goes both ways. That frequencies in the range of 60 to 100 hertz contribute negatively to physiological and psychological states like anxiety and worry. And ultrasound waves uh, can improve mood states by calming the nervous system. So you want to look at what kind of energy you're putting out as well as what kind of energy you're taking in. Like, are you a force for good? Are you a positive node on the network? Are you uplifting the vibration? That is not a spiritual bypass topic. You're not trying to force yourself into vibrating higher. That doesn't work. You have to deal with and process the underlying fear, anxiety, or despair and really make it clean so you can vibrate higher. Because it, in reality, we are wired to feel and attune and sense others. We are tuned into the symphony of human emotions. And even though it gets dulled and socialized out of us, uh, we, we really have innate intuitive capacities that we can cultivate. Uh, Rick Rubin, who I talked about in a prior podcast, uh, you know, Def Jam Records, one of the best music producers of our time, who wrote this book, The Creative Act, that's come out to great acclaim, says, I find intuition to be a very valuable thing, a very high source of information. And he illuminates a deeply rooted facet of how humans understand intuition, innate knowledge without conscious reasoning, gut feeling, a knowing without knowing how we know, a knowing without knowing how we know. So intuition could be explained with a rational material reality. There's pattern recognition because our brains over time become vast libraries of experiences. And sometimes we stumble on familiar pages in this library of experience and trigger what we think of as intuitive insights, like you just know. And then there's emotional processing, like if you've ever felt something in the air, that the subconscious kind of translates that into what we would call intuition, like through all those processes we were talking about. Or somatic signals, like your body might know before your mind knows. You get a chill or goosebumps. You might have biases where the mind shortcuts though, that gives rise to those feelings, uh, sometimes inaccurately, 
There's an old book, but a classic, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, which dives deep into this realm. It describes how the beauty of quick and often accurate judgments our subconscious mind can conjure um, can also be uh, flawed in that if there isn't enough experience, it can create a bias and and even prejudice. But still, it's a it's a component of intuition. It just leads us to wonder whether that intuition is correct or not correct. And then how about this as part of your intuition? Let's go out there. Survival mechanisms whispered in our ears by our ancestors in our epigene that guide us away from potential threats. This ancestral knowing that our very DNA is imbued with the wisdom of ages past and science debating nuance in this, yes, is, va- is valid, but we know it's truth in our instinctual behaviors. So we have the intuition that is coming from the echoing of all the prior life forms that came before us up until this moment, like we know and we do not know how we know. So if you go into an even deeper intuition beyond your general ancestral line, you enter into other realms of shared memories, a world where the earth remembers, where institutions hold collective knowledge, where families pass down stories, you might enter into embodied memory, muscle memories, traumatic memories. Our bodies are vaults of past experiences. You might enter into collective and shared memories of genocide or of celebration, or you might you might enter into the memory of place, the stillness of battlefields or the warmth of old childhood homes. Locations themselves are living, breathing memoirs of history. Artifacts and symbols can hold memory, like a pendant from a grandmother or an ancient monument. They are physical vessels of memories and silently hold story and tale, like pay attention to the objects you surround yourself with, because we are in a constant exchange of artifact and memory and place and embodiment. And if you venture even further out into what might be informing intuition or what energies might be at work, you will find concepts like as mentioned earlier, the Akashic Records, uh, the universe's vast library. So whether it's the whisper of the ancestors or the silent stories of the earth or the quantum dance or intuition or ancestral knowledge, these all link us to the deep past, inform our present, and point us to the kind of future we're creating. The more conscious we can become of those, the more field awareness we can have, the more we create a kind of future that works and a world that works for everyone. So I want to ground this now back into the here and now and talk about living with field awareness and an understanding of the space between. I feel like the one-to-one model of psychotherapy or healing or the one-to-one model of psychedelics, like that's old school stuff that is based on this toxic individuation of the widgetized culture, modern culture, that the interconnected body, the interconnected field is where the future of healing is happening. Uh, I've experienced this deeply in my three-year training with Thomas Hubel, where we we did one-to-many healing in the field, uh, that basically whatever process is up in an individual person, it echoes with 10 to 15% of the people in the room at a very deep level. And if they're paying attention, if they're tuning in, they will also have an opportunity to be healed in that process. You can heal one to many. So what's happening in the in, in the space between becomes a deeper way of understanding situations. 
This is familiar to those of you who have done Gestalt therapy, which delves into the totality of a person's surroundings, relationships, cultural background. It understands how we fit into a bigger picture and how that modulates our psyche and, and impacts how we move in the world. Family system does the same thing, finding patterns and dynamics that influence each family member, a constellation of stars in the family. In the broader world, there is a gross observable reality in interconnected systems in business and ecology, where you start to see that everything is part of a larger whole and you just can't like tangibly go after and fix the symptom of a problem. That that it's a lot of interconnected parts. And before you make a change, you predict strategically how that change will ripple out and what it might produce. I've often thought of this in the ethics of technology, that if you're inventing a technology that's going to strip the number one profession like driving of all of their jobs and roles, then you probably should give some thought to the impact of your technologies and begin to inform the people who are in those fields and begin a dialogue with the way we organize and structure our society so that it doesn't just come out and blindside entire segments of the population who've built their life on a fixed, firm reality. I believe that's part of the emerging ethics of technology. Same thing with AI, by the way. Go listen to the AI podcast. So as promised, here is part two of this episode. Stephanie Atkinson-Schwartz. She is a multidisciplinary artist, photographer, and a person who shows nature, art, and creativity in a lens of biomimicry. She has been a professional photographer, designer, done Emmy award-winning designs for CNET, USA Network, Sci-Fi Network, and she holds a BFA from Syracuse, Sotheby's Institute of Art Studies, Design Science Studio, Biomimicry Institute, VR, AVR Academy for Women, And she exhibits her own work as well in both solo and group shows for venues like the Marin Museum of Contemporary Art and the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. And she sees the world through what she calls a lens of wonder. That is so deep for me that putting on the glasses of enchantment is the subject of a lot of our talks on the show and even in the books I've been writing. So she has this deepened awareness of perception and dimensionality from her own unique life experience, which we'll talk about today, and believes in unboxing the way we think and use our senses to reveal unseen aspects that have been pushed to the edges of our perception. So I started by asking Stephanie, in what ways does she see differently and why? I'm aware that I see differently than many people by the way that I use my eyes, both together and separately. And I also use what would be called a soft gaze. I let my eyes rest outward rather than a particular focal point, and the reason for this is that most of my life, it was most natural. It actually took a lot of work for me to pull them together in order to do the expected tasks. You know, my eyes used to skip around, making things like reading and and processing the information that I was reading really hard, and fusing my eyes for dimensionality was like having to focus a manual camera and refocus for dimension everywhere I looked. And now that I have stereo vision, I realize it's really something that most people take for granted and don't really understand what I'm even talking about unless they've had the issue or have the same issue. 
Now, I did a lot of work to correct these things. I had vision therapy that assisted like my eye tracking. I had listening therapy for my dimensional hearing. I did sensory integration therapy. I had some neural feedback. And I also created a way to mirror sound, which fixed my stereo vision. And there's a lot of stories in here, yet I'll, I'll skip over and, and just share that I actually had to retrain myself after correcting it all because I, I lost the joy of seeing and I, I lost my gifts. And without that, I really felt lost in the world. So I retrained myself with the soft gaze and to use my eyes separately, not just together. And I intentionally do these things these days because I get such tremendous pleasure when I do it. And I can feel how everything's connected. I see the colors and the vibrating light and it's just delightful and it really actually calms my system. So Stephanie, what got you interested in energy, prisms, light and vibration? I'm pulled to light, whether light itself or people. It's just, it's where my eyes go and it's what I'm drawn to. Like I'm drawn to it. I just see it all around. My first memorable experience was walking up to a TV set and turning it up all the way and like feeling the light and seeing the sound, the vibration, like it was so beautiful and undulating. And it also happens to be when my folks realized I was having a hard time hearing and I was just two. And it informed me that it was a full body experience of vibration, like sound and light being one thing, not one thing for my eyes and one for my ears. It was like this full immersion. And the, the refracted light and prisms, rainbows, like the love of seeing it and feeling it and the dancing color star fields, it kind of has first dibs on my attention and I'm just totally pulled to it. Can you tell us about capturing and depicting energy and vibration in your art? I really made a decision to show what I see in my artwork after watching a music video, and it's called We're All Connected by Melody Sheep. I, I learned science and how we're all connected in that video. I, I didn't take science in high school, like art was really my way of getting an education. And in that video, Richard Feynman, he spoke of the light bouncing around the space and in the room, the pleasure of it. And since I could see it, I decided to show it. And it was then that I realized like people really didn't see it. <laughs> um, they didn't really always know what they were looking at. And at the time, like I, I didn't always take the context because I didn't understand that people wouldn't know what they were looking at because I just saw it everywhere. So it's been this ongoing body of work called Wonder, where a way for the cosmos to know itself. Um, I also depict vibration and sound in my drawings, um, as drawing the sound around me was the way in which I got through school. It was like an anchor. At the time, it was seen as me not paying attention, and yet it was the way that I actually could pay attention. Um, I called it doodles, but they were, you know, and still are like sound vibration driven. You know, and as for energy in my work, I, I once had a woman who, who, you know, she sees a tremendous amount of photography and she told me how hard it was to capture what I capture. And I realized again like, and said, um, you know, it really would be hard if I, if I didn't see it, but I do. The way that I capture stills or videos is, is manually focusing my camera. And I just, I, I just wanted to share that a friend of mine, uh, while she was pregnant, um, and the light was just right, I captured the glow around her, you know, because I could see it when the light's just right, you know, it's it's there, it's just really there. It's not a metaphor. We are energy. And there's th there are things that I see I don't even have the technology to capture yet. I would love to. 
um, and I know what I need to do to do it. So for those tech creators out there, yeah, that would be great. Hmm. How do you recommend others learn to see energy and vibration? I believe we all experience energy and vibration in our unique ways, and we don't have the language for it. And we're also taught to not talk about it. You know, so that's that's sort of why we don't really have the language for it. We, you know, you're asking about seeing it. So one thing I notice that I do that others don't normally do is I look toward the light. Now, I'm not saying to go look at the bright sun, yet when it's coming up or going down, like I'm always looking toward it. You know, people people say, oh, you don't look at the light or you'll go blind. Like I look at the light. My eye doctor told me I'm just, my ophthalmologist told me I'm doing just fine. You know, but I do look toward light. Um, an easy way to see energy and vibration is facing the light, sunrise or sundown, you know, a tree blocking some of it and looking at those beams of light, you know, that, ah, you know, like you see the light coming through the leaves and things and you can see the beams. Or, you know, you can go sit outside by the trees and let your eyes rest out as far as they can. You know, a good way to do it is like hold your arms all the way out, have a wide peripheral vision as possible and hold that soft gaze as long as you can and just like take in like the leaves that are moving and like see them as a whole feel them as a whole feel the the undulation of those leaves moving you know and you know it's sort of um just like using more of the i believe it's the rods when we are holding a wider gaze so that's that's one thing to do. Another thing to do that is fun to do is if you hold your forefinger and your thumb toward the light pretty close together, you can see the space between them. You don't even have to touch them and you can see you can see what happens when there's an overlap in the field between them. You know, I, I once had this biologist friend of mine he said I couldn't capture it, you know, but I showed him that I could capture it because it's there. It's, you know, if, if it's there, you know, it's 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 not just a an idea. It's really there, you know. So that's a great way to see energy right between your fingers. How do you think living with this awareness has impacted your understanding of how we are related, or the very structure of reality? I'm aware that we live in a vibrating universe because I experience it. It's not a concept. I'm also aware that every earthling, every species here on our planet has adapted its way of navigating and being in the world with its unique sensing capacities. And as humans, we've like limited ourselves by this numbering of our senses, like down to five or six, you know, it's really, I. I just, I don't really understand that part. Like, why are we so caught up counting senses and dimensions? It just, it makes no sense to me. I was diagnosed with synesthesia, which is said to be the crossing of senses, and it was a condition until recently. You know, but like, I see sound. Um, I can see it on the water. I, I was sitting with a friend looking at the glass of water on a table where there's music playing and you can see the vibration on that water, right? We're vibrating water. We're made of water. We vibrate. The structure of reality is we're water vibrating in a vibrating world. 
And we're organisms that I believe we've minimized. And it's such an incredible time to actually expand our understanding of what we are. These sensory organisms, like we're all on a spectral field. It's not just some uh, out there on the spectrum. Like we all are on it in our own unique ways, each put together a bit differently, each with our unique gifts, each one of us with our own you, our brightness, our vibration, our frequency and magnetism. And if we could just include all that as quote unquote normal, we'd really create a world that includes all of us within it. And we would design and create a world that works for all of us. And I just wish that for us. Something I'd like to add. While I share through my art, I also work with people and organizations. And one of the organizations that I'm working with is called Seeds Learner. They work primarily with those further out on the spectrum on social emotional learning issues, something that really should be incorporated into education in general today. They also go into schools and homes for those who need more support and they train teachers and parents and caregivers. And they have an enrichment program incorporating art, music, and yoga. And I offer two programs in collaboration with them. One is called Biomimicry and Art, reminding us that we're nature, vibrating beings. And the other is called Drawing Upon Nature and Wonder. And it's about the senses and sensing and tuning into them in different ways while unleashing creativity at the same time. And it's both for kids and adults. I also work one-on-one with those who want more guidance, who may have issues similar to mine or could just use more support or want to expand their neural networks. And that's great for older adults as well. And just the other day, I took a young woman into the Redwoods. Um, She was having a hard time with uh, her eyes and some unanswered eye issues that were creating a lot of stress for her. And she shared that she'd been really concerned she might lose her vision one day. And she shared that after less than an hour of some practices that expand sensory awareness. And she shared it in the context of feeling so much better because she could understand and felt that she was able to see and sense in ways that she never had access to before. And it it really, really calmed her and it helped her really feel more understood. And thank you. I just want to thank you for shedding light for people on these really important topics. All right. Well, just to live into what Stephanie said, how do you step into more wonder, see life and light at the edges? So some takeaways from today. First, we are living in this incredible proto field and it is in, through, and between us, and we are working on each other all the time. Once we begin to look for energy moving through space, for light and aura and things at the edges, it changes the way we experience each other and how we interact with each other. As we cease to be atomized beings and we cease to perceive ourselves as standalone utility objects, but rather interconnected in this giant web, pay attention to how that shifts the way you think of your relatedness to others. Second, what would you do to soften your gaze and to begin training yourself to see light, to see differently, to see sound, to hear light uh, in the way that Stephanie did? And if you have been gifted with the opportunity to see the connective grid, what might you do to show that to others or invite them into your shared vision? I really believe living with a deeper sense of connection will change the way we treat each other and treat the planet. So 
I also promised you a list of visionary artists that are working today. And I mentioned, in addition to Stephanie and her work, I mentioned Allison and Alex Gray. And they are sort of the OG current working artists uh, showing this magical space in between. They also have an incredible love story. Uh, the two of them have been together for more than 40 years, and they work side by side doing their own work. And it's, it's just such a, a life full of incredible respect and creativity and beauty. And they are a model for living well and living in awareness your whole life long. So Amanda Sage is another woman who's working in the visionary art space and showing the web of life between us, uh, the grids between us. Penny Slinger, artist Carolyn Mary Clayfeld even has a piece called The Invisible Manifest, an entire collection around making the invisible visible. She also did a really cool side project maybe a decade ago called the Alchemy Oracle, which is a combination of the I Ching and Oracle and Tarot cards where you go to this little site, alchemyoracle.com, and you hold a question in your mind and then it pulls a card for you and explains the card and shows the I Ching hexagram, which is kind of a fun way to work. Our friend, Android Jones, is probably considered the leading fantasy and psychedelic artist, the, one of the leaders in the visionary arts movement. He works digitally in projections, multimedia, but Android has a unique way of seeing and showing uh, sort of shamanistic, visionary, geometrical shapes in, in moving ways, Android Jones. I've said this before when we've done programs that if you really want to know what's happening, the moral direction of society, what else is at work, look to the artists. They will, they will show you their pointers to what we might want to take note of in our world. And these visionary artists, you know, they're not making uh, still lives to hang over the couch. They're showing you a new way of seeing the world and seeing the proto field and the space in between. All right. And then lastly, I wanted to mention, we talked about yantras earlier. I wanted to mention Gemma Danielle, who is making yantras that literally vibrate off the page. She's a Denver-based mom and yantra artist. She has other kinds of art also, but her yantras are like, whoa, particularly she has a Sri yantra that is even on the screen shaking on the page. All right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for being with me in this inquiry into frequency, vibration, intuition, and let's meet again. You can find me on Instagram at the.rose.woman. You can find me at Rosebud Woman, which is my company that makes beautiful body care and intimate and sexual wellness products to support your well-being your whole life long. Uh, also lifestyle stuff to say, hey, let's live with more enchantment, reverence, and wonder as long as possible and as deeply as possible in our daily life. You can also find our new company, We Are Radiant Farms on Instagram or radiantfarms.us for psychedelic adjacent uh, and legal substances in the gummy form that can help you monitor mood, help your body rest, and feel generally better and more creative. Okay, lots of love wherever you are. Be your own kind of visionary. Lean into your gifts. <laughs>